Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Uh, But yesterday we were talking about how do you prepare your life for ministry and uh, again, I just want to point out something for those who may not have been here. But in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul is kind of give, giving us a brand new section. And he's, he's talking about the fact that, hey, your life is in Jesus. This is what it's to look like lived out on the, on the streets of your life. And he says in Ephesians 4 verse 1, uh, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling with which you have been called. And we were looking at this idea that you have a calling in your life and you have been called unto that calling. And what was the calling that we were looking at? Oh, the calling is simple. It's Jesus. And yes, God may call you into a profession. Yes, he may call you into an aspect of ministry. Yes, he may call you into something. But that's not what this idea is. This idea is that you have a calling in your life and that calling is Jesus. And that's exciting to me because the reality is if Jesus is your calling, then no matter what your profession may be, as long as you stay in the calling, don't worry about the profession stuff. In other words, yes, you know, you might be a plumber for this year. Next year, you might be a teacher. The next year, you might be a circus clown, whatever that might be, right? But regardless, he may have you in a variety of different modes or professions The reality is you have one calling. And the reason that encourages me is because if my calling is preaching and I get cancer of the throat, what does that say about my calling? But if Jesus is my calling and I get cancer of the throat, well, yeah, I may have to change how I'm proclaiming truth, but my calling hasn't shifted. Does that make sense? Again, this is, we're just reviewing from yesterday. And then we looked at the idea in verse 11 of chapter 4, that God has given, given some people very specific, quote-unquote, ministries. And, and yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with these. These are wonderful. And he says he gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And we need those. But why do we need those? Oh, it's not because they're the ones doing the ministry. It's so that they're equipping the saints for the ministry. In verse 12. So you realize that you are the ministers, that that you have a ministry. And if you say, well, I'm a plumber, good for you. You have access into people's homes, that they're inviting you in. So that becomes a ministry. Well, I'm a teacher. Well, that becomes your ministry. And here you are. You have an opportunity to love on and showcase Jesus Christ to these little kiddos. That's an incredible ministry. And you realize that the ones who are typically paid, quote-unquote, for ministry, actually do not have as much access to the unbelievers of the world as you do in your normal jobs. And so there's nothing wrong about being paid by the church and, you know, and, and having a, quote-unquote, ministry, 
But you got to realize that if you don't have a quote-unquote ministry, you're actually the ones who are ministering. And hey, that's exciting. And so I was trying to lay this foundation for the fact that we are all ministers of the gospel of grace. So it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your profession. If you are in Jesus, congratulations, you just got a promotion. You are a minister. Now, you're not going to get paid anymore, but congratulations, you are a minister. So what would it look like then in your context, in your sphere of influence, in the people around you, what would it look like for you to be a minister of the gospel of grace? What would it look like for you to pour out the love of Jesus Christ wherever you're at? Because that is what a Christian does. And so what we were doing yesterday in the, in the session, for those uh, who weren't with us, uh, we were walking through some aspects of how do you prepare your life for ministry. And again, you can't say, well, this doesn't apply to me because, hey, you're included in this. This, this includes every single one of us. And we went through a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, since I didn't have time to finish and I was getting all these complaints, I figured let's take this morning and see if we can at least get through some more of our notes. <laughs> uh, if I could maybe truncate this whole thing and simplify it, you, you want to know how to prepare your life for ministry? Get wrapped up in Jesus. In other words, if your ministry is to pour out the love and the grace of Jesus, then you better have something to give. And I know I quote this all the time, and it's become one of my favorites, but in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> Peter is talking about the overwhelming reality of what you and I have in Jesus. And, and listen to what, what he says. This is, just, this is incredibly powerful. He says in 2 Peter 1.3, His, Jesus' divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I know that we nod, nod our heads and be like, yeah, that's really powerful. What a great verse. Amen. Praise the Lord. But do you actually recognize that that is true? And that should be evident in your life. That what you need for life and what you need for godliness is found in one place. It's Jesus. In Christianity, it is not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus which means the moment you've got Jesus, you have everything that you need. So you don't need to go looking for something more. You need him. And yes, you can deepen in him. And yes, you need to go after him. And, and yes, you can learn more. There's nothing wrong with all that. But you realize that if you have him, you have what, all that is sufficient. So you don't say, well, I, I need about 20 more years to prepare myself before I can go and evangelize. Do you have Jesus? Yeah? You're fine. Go. <laughs> you don't have to wait around. And, and I'm, not, I'm not downplaying the fact that some of us may need a season. And, and yes, there's something blissful about like times like Ellerslie where you can remove your focus from everything around you and pursue Jesus for a season. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of guys in Scripture who did that. And actually, that's, that's worthwhile. But you don't have to wait for something if you have him. And here's part of the question. Where does the pressure of ministry, where, where does the pressure lie on? Who, who, who is the pressure upon? See, if it's my ministry, then I hold all the pressure. What if it's not my ministry? What if it's him? And if it's him, there's no pressure. 
Wow, all these people got saved. Wow, God was moving. Wow, this is phenomenal. I can't take credit for that. Why? This is not my deal. Hey, if God moves and he stirs and he changes lives, he gets all the praise. Hey, if we have a time together and it just seems to crash and it just seemed horrible and, Lord, I don't know what happened, but man, that, this was the worst thing we've ever done. I can't take the fault. It's not my ministry. Jesus, you now have a problem. It's not my ministry. Now, I need to take ownership if I cause the whole thing to fail, but if I'm just walking in obedience, whether it goes well or whether it doesn't go well, there's no pressure on me, folks. That's one of the reasons I love preaching. When I was in high school, I used to compete all the time in these business speaking event things, and there was pressure. Why? Because it's all up to me. And it was amazing when I, when I started getting into the preaching thing, and one of my mentors says, you realize that preaching is restful. And I'm like, what? There should be more pressure. You, you are handling the very words of God. You're saying this is restful? He goes, yes, it's restful. I go, are you insane? Because in my mind, if, if, hey, if, if business stuff was heavy, how much more the word of God? And there is a pressure in it. There is a reverence for it. There, there is a, you better tread carefully in this thing. And if you are a teacher, you're going to be held to higher accountability. That's all true. So in that sense, maybe there's some pressure. But you realize that all you're doing when you're preaching is you're saying, hey, here's what the word says. You lift up the word, say, hey. And as you lift up the word of God, you're just saying, hey, would you let the Holy Spirit apply this in your life? And what's my role? My role is only to lift up the word and explain what I've studied, what it says. And the pressure for your life to change is not on me. I cannot change your life. I have tried. <laughs> I mean, it is not going well. I mean, whoo. But what if it wasn't, the pressure wasn't on me? What if I realized I actually couldn't change you? What if the only way that your life is ever going to change is because of the Holy Spirit working in you? Well, then my role as a, as a communicator of the gospel actually becomes easy. Why? Because all I'm doing is lifting up the word, saying, Jesus, would you take your word and would you apply it to your people and would you do something in their lives? Now, I admit there's times when I get done communicating, I go, Lord, that was horrible. I felt like my mind wasn't in it. I was bumbling through the whole thing. And Lord, I am sorry. If, if, it was all, if, all, if, all, if it was all my fault. But I have to rest in that. And I can't hold the pressure on that. And the prayer becomes, Lord, if, <laughs> I don't know if you can use that one. But Lord, I trust you. And there's times where you get done, you're like, wow, Lord, I really sense that you were moving and communicating and, and, and somehow flowing through me. But I can't take credit for that. I know it's not me. How do I know that? Because I know me. So what if there was no pressure in the ministry? Because it's not your ministry. What if you were just a vessel through which the Spirit of God wants to move through? What if you were just saying, God, here, here I am, use me. If you want to use these lips, use my lips. 
You want to use these hands? Use my hands. Hey, if you want to use my writing ability, use my writing ability. Lord, I don't have writing ability, but if you want to use that which I don't have, feel free to do it. In other words, here I am. Send me. Use me. Now, I know there are certain things that God is not ever going to call me to. I'm fairly sure of this. Like leading worship. You don't want me to lead worship. Trust me. The word says make a joyful noise. Mine's just more of a noise. And I love when, when people like Micah lead worship. Why? Because I just, it's just, it's so rich. It's, it's beautiful. And I'll sit back there and I will sing, but you don't want me up in the front. Uh, years ago, we used to work at a, an elderly center, an elderly home. And, and we would go in there and we usually had, these, we had these, this little family who would lead the worship and they'd bring their guitar and the daughter would sing and it was, it was great. And one of us would bring the word. And one particular week, we were there, and they said, hey, we're sick, we can't come. I said, what am I going to do? And I was like, what? they're like, they're old people. They're gracious. Just grab a hymnal and sing a couple songs. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's going to work. And so that's what I did. I grabbed a hymnal. I said, well, hey, look, I, they're, they're sick. I'm sorry. You're, you're stuck with me. Let's sing a couple songs. I got done with the singing. I... I Gave a little message. I got done, and a couple of the old ladies came up. You know old ladies. They are so kind. They are gracious. They're hard of hearing, so they probably didn't hear much anyway. But they came up and said, uh, could you, next time, could you make sure that they're here? And just maybe, just if we can encourage you, don't, don't do that ever again. And I was like, excuse me, you are supposed to be sweet old people encouraging. <laughs> and I have never led worship again. I figured if sweet old people can't stand it, who are, who are hard of hearing, nobody else should endure. <laughs> so I realized that's not my calling. I get that. But Lord, hey, if, if I'm stuck and, I, and I've got to lead worship, I guess I'll do it. See, what if you were just an open vessel? And what if there was no pressure on your life? What if you just said, Lord, I, I'm not going to orchestrate things. What if you brought people into my life today? But you've got to give me awareness and a sensitivity to the fact that I need to be aware of what's going on around me. So don't let me rush through my day trying to get something done. Could, could I have a spiritual attune, or awareness of saying, Lord, if you put somebody in my path and you, you highlight that, hey, would you give me the boldness and the courage to speak? See, God has given you influence and he's put unbelievers in your life. Why? So that he can use you. But what if the pressure wasn't on you? So how are you going to prepare your life for, for ministry? You better get wrapped up in Jesus. And you better seek him with all your heart and with all your mind. And, and if you get, get wrapped up in him and you would start hearing his voice, you realize that he's going to lead and guide you. And I don't know what that looks like for you. God speaks to Eric in numbers. That makes no sense to me at all. Eric goes into Noodles and Company, gets a 29. He's like, oh, the Lord is speaking. I'm like, it's a table number. That's not how God speaks to me. <clears throat> but Jesus is very clear that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Why? Because the sheep has spent so much time with the shepherd. So if you're going to know the voice of the Lord, you've got to spend time with him. And you've got to attune your heart and your mind 
toward him. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> right, they would, a slave would pierce their right ear or they would, the priest would smear the blood upon the ear, meaning what? That I have an ear for one voice, the voice of the master. What if you would have one ear or your ear for one voice, the voice of the Lord? Lord, lead me, direct me. And Lord, this is your deal. I'm just your vessel. So this is not my ministry and what I can do for you. This is, hey, I'm just available. So give me opportunity. But the whole pressure of this thing is upon you. So if you want to change a life, so be it. But hey, I trust you. See how restful that can be? Some of you are still unconvinced. <laughs> uh, in your notes, I talked about this idea of overcoming insecurity. And I talked about the fact that it's interesting, most of the time when we're talking about ministry, many of us are fearful or nervous or have a measure of anxiety. And the reason for that is because of the fact that we're actually more concerned about what people think of us than God's opinion of it. Why don't we evangelize? Well, I don't want to look the fool. Well, why don't I speak up when I need to speak up? Well, I, I, I actually... I'm concerned about the opinion and the approval and the acceptance of the people around me. That's called fear of man, folks. And as long as you have a fear of man, it's going to be really hard for God to use you. Because if you're unwilling to speak forth truth, hey, if you're willing to, to speak the bold message, how is he going to use you? I mean, our culture is getting darker and darker and darker. And if he says, stand up and be light, and you're like, yeah, but what are they going to think about me? You're not going to do it. So again, what if we could give our ear to one voice and have one desire of having one person's opinion and acceptance and approval? And yes, the world may reject you. And yes, the world may hate you. And yes, they may even get rid of you. But why would that matter? <clears throat> if the Lord is for us, what can man do to me? says Hebrews. So there's a rest even in the fact that if I'm doing all this, and of course the Christian cliches for an audience of one, but if you're genuinely doing this for him alone and you actually allow him to remove that approval and acceptance and affirmation from the world around you, I think we'd be dumbfounded by what God can do in and through our lives. If we quit worrying about public opinion and political correctness and appeasing the culture, and trying to look good to all of our friends, and we just said, Jesus, I don't care what I look like. Use me. I mean, all you have to do is read some of the prophet stuff, and you're going to realize they did not care. God comes up to Isaiah. Isaiah, I want you to walk around naked for three and a half years. Excuse me? Did, did I, Lord, did I... Lord, did I hear you correctly? <clears throat> Lord, did, did I hear you say naked? Yes, naked. Can't I wear something? Do you know how awkward that had to have been for everybody else? And yet Isaiah apparently did not care what public opinion was or what people thought of him. Don't look at me this way. Read, read Isaiah. 
or read Ezekiel and the stuff that Ezekiel went through or Jeremiah and the stuff that Jeremiah went through or Daniel or Moses or David or Abraham or Noah or Esther or Ruth. I mean, you start going through the list. They just didn't care. Why? Because they had one focus. So, hey, if you're going to pull this thing off, hey, if you're going to live out a life of ministry, which you have, you've got to have one focus. You've got to have one drive. You've got to have one passion. And as A.W. Tozier said, if you're going to know your God, you must give time to him. Hey, you're, you're going to have to bend your life around him. You're going to have to spend your life going after Jesus. <clears throat> now, I know we're almost out of time. <laughs> so let me give you a few things from your notes. Here's some thoughts of starting well, just in this idea of ministry. Recognize that doing ministry for God is different than doing ministry with him. It's a really easy trap in life to get so wrapped up in doing things for God that you actually stop spending time with him. And just because I'm doing things for God doesn't actually mean I'm cultivating my spiritual life. Just because I'm doing a whole bunch of religious activities and just because I'm attending church and just because I'm doing this this frenzy of ministry stuff and doing things for him doesn't mean I'm spending any time with him. But you need to recognize that true ministry flows out of time with Jesus. That it's not merely doing things for him. And the danger that I've seen over over 20 years of watching people do ministry is the fact that so oftentimes we get wrapped up in in our daily activities and we get so consumed with the stuff that the spiritual life starts drying up. And if you're going to guard one thing, guard the spiritual life. Hey, if you're, if you're going to be protective about something, hey, do not let go <clears throat> of you pursuing Jesus. And any ministry that comes out should come out of that reality. That makes sense? That is so important. Uh, another thought is, what is your definition of success? Most of the time, we measure ministry success in terms of business and the culture. If our churches are growing, if people are tithing, hey, if people are, are coming to Jesus, woo, success, success. But biblically, when you start looking at the biblical understanding of success, you realize that God will sometimes do the foolish thing purposely, which does not look very successful in order to bring about life. He prunes to bring about greater health. And I don't know about you, but if things were pruning back, I'd be like, things are not going well. Illustration, John chapter 6. At the beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus is feeding the 5,000, which is not just 5,000, you realize. That's 5,000 men plus women and children. There's a crowd of fifteen to 20,000 people following Jesus. They're all desirous. They all want to make him king. But he realizes their motives are tainted. So he preaches this sermon. Eat my body, drink my blood. And by the end of chapter 6, it says that everyone had departed from him except the 12 disciples. Now, if you were, you know, Christianity Today and you were writing an article of the ministry success of Jesus, you would look at that thing saying, the megachurch pastor suddenly lost his whole congregation down to 12. <laughs> 
and some of them are not that hot of characters. I mean, wouldn't you look at that as an incredible defeat? Wouldn't you look at that as a, 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 a blemish, a spot in the ministry of Jesus? Jesus, you had this incredible crowd. You, I mean, you could, have, you could have taken over anything. I mean, all these people were following you, and then you let them all leave? And all you got left is the 12? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. If Bill Gates or Warren Buffett showed up and says, hey, I want to follow Jesus, I'd say, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, why? Could you imagine what their tithe would be like? I mean, could you imagine what we could do with the ministry? Could you imagine the expansion projects we could have? Could you imagine just what we could do? And what does Jesus say? Oh, you know what your love is? Money. So give everything away, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And then the man just in desperation goes, I can't do it, and he walks away. Now, if he was walking away and I was one of the disciples, I'd been like, eh, excuse me, excuse me, could you give half? What about a quarter? Tenth. A tenth. How about a tenth? That's, that's spiritual. But Jesus demanded all. And I would look at that saying, that seems like a failure. I mean, he had, he had an opportunity of having this great elder in the church supporting financially. And Jesus let him go. You've got to recognize that in ministry, sometimes what God is doing may look like a failure in human eyes. He's going to be pruning back. Why? So that there's more health. John 15 stuff. So you've got to determine, if you're, going to, if you're going to live a life of ministry, what is your definition of success? Are you trying to get notches on your belt of how many souls you've saved? I mean, is that your definition of success? I have brought 500 people to the Lord. You didn't change their hearts. You were merely a vessel through which he was using. Some have planted, some have water, some bring the harvest. And just because you may be bringing a harvest doesn't mean you're the one doing all the work. God's the one giving the increase. So if you evangelize to someone and they reject you, is that a failure? No. Why? Because you're planting seeds. And I can't change their heart anyway. I'm just supposed to be faithful in doing the ministry, which is not my ministry. Is that making sense? So you've got to determine on the front end, how are you going to define success? And in our modern day, where everything is about the popularity and the applause and the, you know, the success stuff and the name on the books and the YouTube channels and the rah, 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 rah kind of stuff, you've got to determine, hey, what is, how are you going to define success? And are you going to be faithful in ministry regardless of what it looks like? And what if there is no evidence that comes out of your ministry and then you die? Is it still worth it? And maybe you won't know of the influence that God has used in your life, this side of heaven. But is that okay to you? Or do you have to have the applause? And do you have to have the, the prestige? And, the... and could I encourage you, you better have a biblical understanding of success, which is not going to be defined by the world or business or culture. You realize if you're going to have a life of ministry, you, you've got to develop and guard the non-negotiables in your life. No one is ever going to fight for your prayer life. No one is ever going to fight for you to spend time in the Word. 
No one is ever going to fight for you to cultivate relationship with Jesus. So if you don't develop it and guard it, you're not going to have it. And yet that is one of the most essential things for survival in ministry. And it's just presumed that you're going to have it. But most people are not going to be like, oh, can I, can I like give you an extra couple of hours so you can pray today? No one does that. They're like, can I take a couple of your hours today? And we understand that that's not a problem. But Jesus frequently had to get up early in the morning to go up into the mountains to escape the people so he can spend time with the Father. So you've got to guard this. You've got to determine what are the non-negotiables in your spiritual life and fight tooth and nail for them. Because there's always going to be another crowd. There's always going to be interruptions. There's always going to be something. And yes, we want to be interruptible. And yet you've got to be doggedly guarded on the spiritual aspects that bring depth and growth and life to your spiritual life. So don't waver in them. Guard them. And yes, it sounds rather rude when someone says, hey, uh, could we meet tomorrow morning? And you're like, no. Sorry, I'm booked. Well, who are you meeting with? The king of the universe. Sorry. And you don't hold, you don't hold the trump card. If I'm going to spend my time somewhere, it's going to be him. But that's really hard to do when you have all the social pressure and you're wanting to appease and you don't want to say no. And So here's another thought. Learn how to say no. For some of that, some of us, that's like a curse word. We dare not say it in fear of looking unspiritual. But as we've often talked around here, and I'm, not, I'm still working on this. This is so hard for me. But you realize that every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to everything else. So every yes is a no, and every no is a yes. So you've got to determine what is the most important things, and you've got to make the decisions of yes and no based on the important stuff. So when someone says, hey, could you add this project to your list? If it means you're going to be pulled away from what is most important, you need to say no. Well, yeah, but I'll never have this opportunity again. No! Well, I'm going to look mean and nasty. No! And no is a complete sentence. Now, you can say it nicer than that. Oh, thank you so much for considering me. I really appreciate that. But no! <laughs> you know? And I'm saying that because I need to hear it. Because I have that propensity. Sure, I'll try to fit it in. I'll just do one more thing. Sure, not, not a problem. But you realize, hey, if you were called a ministry, you're going to have to say no. Because there comes a point where you can't say yes to everything else. So you've got to determine what is most important in your life and guard those most important things. So learn how to say no. And if you're going to live a life of ministry, you have got to be ruthless in removing sin habits, entanglements, and you've got to live a life of repentance. So oftentimes, those who are in quote-unquote ministry feel like they're on a pedestal or they feel like they're in the public view and therefore they have to hide junk. What if we didn't hide the junk? What if we actually repented and got rid of it? And you're in ministry, folks. And if I can encourage you, you're not perfect yet. 
We're all a work in progress. That's encouraging. (laughs) But you need a ruthless elimination of the stuff that entangles you. And if there are habits and if there are addictions and if there are patterns, you need to go after those things. And what would it look like if you lived a life of repentance? What if the disposition of your soul was that of, Lord, I, I, I need you. I can't do this. And what if you allow him to sanctify your life and got rid of the junk? Now, for most of, the, most of us, that's not an overnight process. That he's weeding stuff out and he's going deeper and deeper and deeper. And he's moving from the big boulders to the, to the river rocks and to the pebbles and then to the dust stuff. But you've got to let him work through this process where he's even dealing with the motives and the heart stuff. Don't justify sin. Don't cover it up. Repent. Press into Jesus. Walk in the reality of the victory that he has purchased. That's really important in ministry. And if I can encourage you, always give what you have. You may not feel like you have much to give, but what little you have, give it. And you'll find that he is a limitless aquifer refilling your life. And when you are replenished, give what you have. Well, I'm exhausted. I only have 10% left. Then give the 10% and see what he does. Most of us try to guard and protect what little we have. But what if we had the attitude of giving what we have and what little energy we may have at the end of the day? Why don't we give it? And why don't we expend? And why don't we pour out? And why don't we and trust that as we pour out, he's going to keep pouring in? And the only way you'll experience the endless aquifer of Jesus Christ is to consistently pour out that which is in your cup. And maybe one final point. Realize that when we're talking in terms of ministry, it seems like that God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you accomplish. That he's more interested in identity stuff. He's more interested in in your life, your being, not so much your doing. But don't forsake the doing. In other words, it's not a, am I choosing between being or doing? It's, you have being and doing. But it is your being, who you are, that should determine what you do. Because I can go and I can find all the right things to do and do them and never have the life. But if I have the life, that life will determine what I do. So go after the life. And let him form and shape you and deepen the roots of your soul. Because it is in you pursuing Jesus that'll outflow or flow out into the what you do. You are called to ministry. So you better get tight with Jesus. Let's pray, Lord. Thank that you've thank you that you have called us unto yourself and that you have given us all things that we need for life and for godliness. And that you have given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we might become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Lord, I pray that we would make every effort to add virtue to our faith and to our virtue knowledge and to our knowledge self-control and to self-control patient endurance and patient endurance to godliness and to our godliness that we'd add brotherly kindness and to our brotherly kindness love. Because your word says if these reside in us and abound, 
that they will ensure that we will neither be useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of you. Lord, you have called us unto a calling that we are ministers of the gospel of grace. Lord, let us realize that the, the weight, the pressure of ministry is not upon our shoulders, it is upon you. And that you have given us all things that we need. So Lord, may we pursue you. May we deepen our roots within you. May we aggressively find our delight in you and throw everything off that hinders the sin that so easily ensnares and let us run the race with endurance. Lord, we want our lives to be from you and through you and to you for your glory. So Lord, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto you. Take our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And Lord, could you somehow use these frail vessels as instruments of righteousness in this world that would turn the world upside down, even in a dark, convoluted, corrupt culture that we live in today. Lord, the solution is you. We need you. Thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we get to be vessels of the King. Love you, Jesus, in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.